So Women of Courage, okay, be seated. Women of Courage uh, is the title of the message. I'm going to read to you from Proverbs chapter 31, verse 25. And uh, she is clothed with strength and dignity, and she can laugh at the days to come. Oh, we just lost it. Now we got it back. Okay. So, let me, let me say this to you. There's something I teach, and you've heard me say this many times. The beauty of the Bible, it's, it's alive. It's living. It's, it's active. And I think that one of the concepts of that is that you could go and put yourself anywhere in the Bible. So, have you been in the Garden of Eden before? Being tempted by the devil? Right? Am I the only one who's ever been there, right? I've been at the cross. Right? I, I, I've been at the empty tomb. I've been in the upper room on Pentecost. I, I've been there with Gideon down in the cistern, right, hiding from the enemy. When God comes and says, mighty man of valor. You know, I've been in those places. And that's the beauty of the word of God. You know, there's a, there's a, a guy who I really, I love listening to, Jordan Peterson, who I believe is one of the smartest men in the world and um, has just given his life to Christ, and that's where smart people end up going. Yeah, he's given his life to the Lord. And um, Jordan, one of the things that really captured Jordan about the Bible was that as he began to read it, was that he began to see himself in it chapter by chapter. And that, again, that, that is something incredible. So what, what I'm going to talk to you today, look, there's, there's a lot of man stories in the Bible, right? Was it's, it's in a ratio, I don't know if it's like 75% to 25%, 80% to 20%. You know, you, 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 have, you know, you have Noah, and then Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joe, you know, Joseph. I throw Sarah in there, throw Rebecca in there. And, um, and then, you know, you've got, you've got Moses, and you've got Aaron, and you've got Joshua, and, you know, you throw Miriam in there. So there's a lot more man stories in the Bible than there are women's stories. But I'll tell you, when I've read the woman's stories, I've been able to experience from the Holy Spirit exactly what I experienced from the men's stories. So I said this to you last week, today's going to be about women. But every man in this room, you're going to have an opportunity to gain a whole lot from these godly women that I'm going to be sharing to you about. So the first, the first person I want to share with you is Rahab. And uh, I, I, I title this, Rahab Courageous Risk. Because she took a risk. And, and if you look in the book of Joshua, chapter 2, verses 4 through 7. So, two spies going to spy out the land. And um, basically, the king of Jericho is hunting them down. He knows they're there. They're in the helm of Rahab. And we all know the story. She hid them. So, I'll read this to you. Then... The woman took the two men and hid them. So she said, yes, the men came to me, right? But I did not know where they were from. Right? This is her, her description to the king. And it happened as the gate was being shut when it was dark that the men went out. She lied. You know why we're not supposed to lie? Is there a justifiable lie? What if somebody came in here right now with a gun and said, I'm looking for Ricardo Bellotto. 
would it be the right thing for me to say, I don't want to lie. I, listen, I don't want to lie to you, you know, and tell you, Ricardo's not here. He didn't make it today. No, he's sitting right over there in a gray shirt. He's the guy with the gray... Would, would I have been wrong? Would, would God have held that against me? Love covers a multiple of sins. So that's what she did. Verse 5, And it happened as the gate was being shut when it was dark that the men went out. Where the men went, I do not know. Pursue them quickly, for you may overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them with the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order on the roof. Then the men pursued them by the road to the Jordan to the fords. And as soon as those who pursued them had gone out, they shut the gate. Now, if you, if you look at this, she really was putting her life on the line. Right? I mean, the king, if he knew she was lying right there, now, she's kind of like, you know, between a rock and a hard place here because she has come to believe in God. She believes in Yahweh. She believes that Yahweh, right, Yahweh is with Israel. They've wiped out the people on the other side of the Jordan. She knows they're going to come in and wipe out her people. But, but kind of the, the short term, you know, the, the, sometimes when we make decisions, you know, it's for that instant gratification instead of us thinking long term. And she could have made that instant, you know, gratification decision and said, you know what, they're upstairs hiding under the hay. And she would have basically been, right, she would have been spared by the king of Jericho, but she didn't. And she, she really put her family and her life at risk. So I'm, I'm Listening, I was sharing this with the men at the men's retreat yesterday. General Jerry Boykin, who was the founder of Delta Force, and if you've ever seen Black Hawk Down, he was the commander of Black Hawk Down when you know that entire situation happened. I think it was Mogadishu, and um, Jerry Boykin, three-star general. He's a devout Christian. He's leading, he's leading men all over America to rise up and take a stand against the the evil and take a stand for Jesus, and. Um, Jerry was telling a story, and I was on a call. I was on a call with him. I had the privilege and honor of being on a call with him with just a handful of men. And he was telling that he was, he was terrified of heights. Terrified. And um, I'm kind of relating to that because I've had a fear of heights. And um, I've worked like crazy to overcome the fear. And he talked about how he overcame the fear. But he said that when he's watching a movie and somebody's standing up really high at the edge of the building, his hands sweat. I'm saying, that's what happens to me. I watch King Kong. And when King Kong's on the Empire State Building, my hands are sweating. <laughs> he said that he overcame his fear. But he said that courage is not the absence of fear. It's basically acting in spite of fear. And overcoming, essentially, that fear. He's jumped out of 400 airplanes. <laughs> he's, he's parachuted out of 400, 400 times, he said. Obviously, he's, he's overcome that fear. I can go up and clean my gutters two stories up now in my house. You know, I can climb a tree. I can, you know, hike or run along the Anglewood Cliffs without, without panicking that I'm going to fall off. But um, I, still, I still have that, that fear still there. But I've kind of managed to overcome it. And I think that's what Rahab did. She was afraid. She was afraid that, that, you know what, that they could have killed her family, they could have killed her, but yet she did what was right in spite of her fear. You know where that courage came from? Her faith. 
If, if you look twice, she's mentioned in the New Testament in James and Hebrews. Look at James chapter 2, verse 25 through 26. In the same way was not even Rahab. By the way, Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction as the body without the spirit is dead. So watch, right? So faith without deeds is dead. It was her faith that gave her the courage. And then in Hebrews 11.31, by faith the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. Again, faith. Her faith gave her the courage to you know, act in spite of her fear. And she went out on a limb. And sometimes God calls us, right, to go out on limbs, right? That is something that the Lord calls us to. To step out on a limb. You know, a lot of people, they, they, they choose to stay in the comfort zone. They, they choose to always play it safe. They choose not to take risks. I want to read to you a, a great quote. To laugh is to risk appearing the fool. To weep is to risk appearing sentimental. To reach out to another is to risk involvement. To expose feelings is to risk exposing your true self. To place your ideas and dreams before the crowd is to risk their loss. To love is to risk not being loved in return. To live is to risk dying. To hope is to risk despair. To try is to risk failure. But risk must be taken because the greatest hazard in life is to risk nothing. The person who risks nothing, does nothing, has nothing, is nothing, he may avoid suffering and sorrow, but he cannot learn, feel, change, grow, or live. Chained by his servitude... He is a slave who has forfeited all freedom. Only a person who risks is free. People who approach the end of their life, one of their greatest, one of the greatest things they wish they had done that they didn't do, one of their greatest regrets is that they wish they took more risks. They look out over their life and say, I just wish, I wish I took more risks. So I, I look at I look at Rahab. And I'm reminded of, of some people and some women who took some great risks to do the right thing. They took, they took some great risks to save others' lives. And if you haven't read about them before, I encourage you to. Anne Frank and Corrie Ten Boom. Who, who hid Jews during the Holocaust. Who hid them in their homes. And if they had gotten caught by the Gestapo, they would have been killed. But they did it because they knew it was the right thing to do. Just a number of years ago, Sue and I are down in Florida and we're having dinner with a couple called the Frankels. And the Frankels began to tell us the story. His mother was um, raised in Germany during World War II. The Nazis took her entire family and killed them. But she escaped. And she ran into the woods, but she found this Christian family. And the Christians hid her for three years. And what they would do is, at night she would come to the house. She was 12 years old. 12-year-old kid. She would come to the house at night. They would give her some food, and they would hide her in an area under the boards of the floor. Give her a blanket, and she would sleep there at night. And before the sun would rise, she would go back into the woods stay there all day until the sun was setting and then come back to the house. 
And she did that for three years, from 12 years old until 15 years old. She, she was interviewed. This is her, and she was interviewed by Steven Spielberg. I don't know if you've ever seen it. After uh, Steven Spielberg had produced um, Schindler's List, he produced a movie featuring all of these survivors of the Holocaust, and she was one of them. And she told her story. Imagine that being a 12-year-old kid, but this Christian family, this Christian family did what was right, and they risked their lives because the Nazis would have taken, the, the Nazis would have shot them. They would have shot them on the spot. They would have shot the husband, the wife, and all the children. But they risked it to do what was right. And Rahab risked. It, it's, it's the courage of risk. She didn't know what tomorrow held for her. She didn't know if there would be any reward. Do you know who she became? I want you to see this in the genealogy of Jesus, Matthew chapter 1, verse 5 through 6. Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. Salmon was Boaz's father. Guess who Rahab? She was the mother of Boaz. How many of you knew that? Okay, a few. Good. And then Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. And Obed begot Jesse. Who was Jesse? That was David's daddy. And then Jesse begot David, the king. And if you look at Rahab through the generations, she is the great, 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 grandma of who? Of Yeshua. Boy, I'll tell you and she was a prostitute. He wasn't, he wasn't embarrassed to include sinners who had been redeemed in his bloodline. Beautiful thing. Okay, second person I want to talk to you about, Ruth. Courageous commitment. So in the book of Ruth, chapter 1, verse 16 through 18, ladies love this. You're talking about this. This is, this is the constitution of commitment. It's the declaration of commitment. So uh, Ruth's husband had died. Naomi's husband, her mother-in-law, had died. And uh, now Naomi's going back to the promised land. Ruth's a Moabitess. The Moabites were despised by the Jews. In fact, God instructed Moses to go and, and destroy them. They were, they were despised by the Jews. They were pagans. They were, they were sacrificing their children. They, you know, idolaters. And um, this is a woman who would not be welcomed in Israel. But she loved her mother-in-law, Naomi. But she loved Yahweh. So in, in, in verse 16, But Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you. Or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. Yahweh. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. The Lord do to me and more also. If anything but death parts you and me. And when she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. That is, that is the courage of, of commitment. It was uh, 
Johann Wolfgang van Goethe, he said this, but he said some very powerful things. Courage is the commitment to begin without any guarantee of success. Ruth, Ruth didn't know where she was going. Ruth didn't know what tomorrow would hold for her. Ruth didn't know what was at the end, you know, the end of the tunnel. You know, sometimes God calls us to that. You know, when God called me, and I was an atheist who was saved and then God called me to minister and to pastor I didn't know what God had in store for me. And there are many times where God calls us to something and, and we don't know where we're going. We, we, we don't know, we don't know what's, what, what's happening. Ruth, she made the commitment and she was steadfast. She, she endured, she persevered. It's, it's, again, it's, it's a picture of, of courageous commitment. Do you know who Ruth became? Right, I'll bring you back to the genealogy of Jesus, Matthew chapter 1, 5 through 6. Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. Boaz begot Obed by Ruth, right? The kinsman redeemer, right? They married together. And then Obed begot Jesse, right? Jesse then begot David the king. Ruth is also a great, great, great grandma to Jesus. <laughs> when you get to heaven... You'll meet Ruth or Rahab and say, who are you? And they will say, I'm Jesus' grandma. <laughs> I would think that if, if I was Jesus' grandma, I wouldn't want to tell people about that. All right, number three. Deborah. Courageous gapstander. What's a gapstander? Does anyone know what a gapstander is? I'm going to share with you what a gap stander is. She stood in the gap. You see, no one was filling the gap, and sometimes God is looking for a person to stand in the gap. And there was no one standing in the gap. So look at the story in Judges chapter 4, 4 through 9. Now Deborah, a prophetess, she was a, a, a prophet. The wife of Lapidoth was judging Israel at the time, and she would sit under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the mountains of Ephraim, and the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. Then she sent and called for Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kadesh and Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord God of Israel commanded, Go and deploy troops at Mount Tabor, take with you 10,000 men, of the sons of Naphtali and of the sons of Zebulun. Against you I will deploy Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and with multitude at the uh, river Kishon, and I will deliver him into your hands. So what is he saying here to Barak, right? I want you to go and be the leader. You're, you're, you're the leader. Lead Israel against Sisera. Lead Israel against the enemy. You're the leader. You're the general. You're the commander. Now, do what you're supposed to do. And Barak said to her, if you will go with me, then I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. You can hear, wimpy, 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 wimpy. <laughs> Remember that, that hefty, the, the hefty bags? Hefty, 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 wimpy, wimpy, wimpy. This, this, this is a man, I call him the, the, the sissified, feminized man, who um, refuses to step up and play the man. 
refuses to play the role of a man, the role of a warrior, the role of a leader, the role of a general that he was called to. In, in, in marriages, this is a man who doesn't take the role of being what God has called him to be. I was talking to the men yesterday saying we are living in a time where men are not being what God has called them to be. So he, he, he is not being what God calls him to be. So in verse 9, so she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, there will be no glory for you in the journey you are taking, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of the woman. Then Deborah arose and went uh, with uh, Barak to Kedesh. By the way, who, who, you know, who remembers Barak? Who, who remembers Deborah? But she, what Deborah did, she stood in the gap because the man was not standing in the gap. And this is something, when men stop being what God has called them to be, their wives then have to take on the role of being the leaders. You know, I, I believe men, we are called four roles as Christians. We are called to be the prophet of our family. We are called to be the priest of our family. We are called to be the warrior of our family. And we are called to be the provider, the primary provider of our family. When a man refuses to carry out those roles, then the wife has to step up. And she has to fulfill those roles. And we see that in the church. We, you know, we see it in the world. And she has to fill that gap, which is a very difficult and challenging gap. We have widows here in the church who are filling that gap. We have single moms in the church. God bless you all. It wasn't, wasn't by any of your will that this has happened, but God bless you because you're, you're filling that gap. And it's a challenging gap with having to do and play those four roles on top of being a mother and playing the roles of a mother that God, God has given you. Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30 so I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. That's the picture. She stood in the gap. So God is looking for men and women to stand in the gap today. You know what the greatest call that God is calling to his church right now? Hey, vote this week on Tuesday. But that's not what it is. The greatest call that God is giving us right now is for intercessors. He's looking for people who will be intercessors, who will get down on their knees and they will pray. They will pray each day and they will call out to him. They will call for, to a nation that needs a revival, to a nation that needs healing, to, to a nation that needs restoration, to a nation that needs a reformation. They will, cry, they will cry out to God daily. He's looking for intercessors to, to pray with that intensity, with supplication, and cry out to Him. Look what's happening to the family. Right? Look, look, look what's happening to kids. I said, I, I said yesterday, you look at what's happening to men, and He needs women who are going to intercede for them. You know, in, in men right now in America... 15 to 1 ratio of men who are incarcerated next to women. I tells you there's something wrong going on here. The, that right now with, with men, men are twice as likely to commit suicide than women. The 7 out of 10 men in the churches are addicted to pornography. 
They tell you that there's, there's, some, there's, something, there's something wrong. 50% of all households, single moms, being raised by single moms. And listen, if you've gone through a divorce, you've gone through some pain, hey, you want to be involved in the lives of your children. You want to be in, involved in the lives of your children. But they see that there, there, there's something. God's calling for intercessors, men and women, to intercede for, for what is happening, what is happening. And Deborah, Deborah was that intercessor. Deborah is the woman who stood up and she stood in the gap. It wasn't her role. She was a prophet. Her role wasn't to be a military leader or to be a general. But she stood up because nobody else was standing up. All right, number four. The women of Jesus, courageous followers. These wonderful women who followed Jesus. Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. Now it came to pass afterwards that he went through every city and village preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God and the twelve were with him. And certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom had come seven demons, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod Stewart, and Susanna, and many others who provided for him from their substance. These are godly women. You know, I just want to show you something. When, when the scriptures talk about the twelve, the apostles, they're, they're frequently shown as being very flaky, flighty, uh, they desert the Lord, they deny the Lord, they're arguing all the time, who's the greatest, right? They want to call down fire from heaven, burn people up in Samaria. But you never hear a negative thing about the women who follow Jesus. You never, you never hear one negative thing about any of the women who follow Jesus, right? They're, they're steadfast, they stand firm. I mean, they're, they're, you know, they're, they, they follow him. They support him. Right? They're, they're, they're basically cooking the food and cleaning up the mess. But, right, ladies? Sometimes men make messes, right? Do you go, girls, do you agree with me? Good little girl power. Men can be very messy. Right, girls? Listen, doing that, that, that just doesn't come easy. Because I, I, don't have, I don't have one ounce of estrogen in this body. <laughs> you know, years ago in the church, there was like this thing about men, you know, getting in touch with their feminine side. Never caught on with me. Never caught on. I, never, I couldn't find my feminine side. I don't have a feminine side. There's, no, there's nothing feminine there. But, but girls, men make a mess, right? They cleaned it up. They were doing all the work behind the scenes, just like they do here. Just like they do here. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 55, these women followed him throughout his ministry, supporting him. And then it says, and many women who followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, were there looking on afar at the cross, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of the Zebedees. There they are right at the cross, the women. Who was the only apostle who was there? I always say, right at the foot of the cross, Mary, 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 and John. And there were a bunch of other women who couldn't get that close, but they were there. And then in Luke chapter 23, 55 to 56, and the women who had come with him from Galilee followed after, and 
they observed the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils, and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. Where were they again? They were right there at the garden tomb, and they experienced the resurrection. He told them to go back, right, and tell the apostles, again, 9 and 10, Matthew 28, and as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice. So they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. There he is again with them, right? The women. And when you come to Pentecost, who's there? Yeah, they're, they're, they're all there. Look, Acts chapter 114 these all continued in one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary and the mother of Jesus and with his brothers. They were all the women again. They followed him throughout, throughout his life. They so steadfast. They followed him. Well, the men didn't, didn't quite do that. And there they are when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon them at Pentecost. Hallel. Hallel. We have been blessed here at Living Word Community Church with many wonderful and godly women. I say that to the ladies here today, and I say that with the greatest amount of gratitude and with all my heart, because we would not have a church without you. I want to, uh, I want to assure you, we have some great men here, but we, we, have, we have many great women here at Living Word Community Church, godly followers of Jesus, servants, givers, compassionate, kind, sacrificial. And I, look, I, I, may God speak through me to your heart today and say to you how thankful he is for you and what you do here behind the scenes. You know, rarely, rarely getting noticed, rarely ever receiving credit for what you do, you have done such a great work here through the years. And like the women who follow, I know, I know if you were there, and I don't want to mention any by names because then I'm going to leave out people. But if you were there, I could see you being one of the Marys or Joanna or one of the others who would have followed Jesus throughout his ministry, who would have been there at the cross, who would have been there at the empty tomb, and who would have been there on Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fell upon them. Just your, your, just God bless you. And God bless the women who aren't hearing this, who are up there with the Sunday school or in the nursery or doing all the other things that are going on so we could be in here today. All right, last. Mary. How could we talk about courageous women without talking about Mary? Mary, and I call it a courageous surrender. And I'll tell you something, I don't know if there was a more courageous surrender outside of what Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will but yours be done, than what Mary basically did when she was standing before Gabriel. And Gabriel said, you are going to be the mother of Messiah. The mother, the mother of the earthly nature of Jesus. This, this great responsibility, this great stewardship and when Gabriel was saying this to her, I mean, she's a, a 14 or 15-year-old girl. That's what the scholars tell us, marriage age. And she was troubled. I mean, if an angel appeared to you and said what Gabriel said, would you not be troubled? 
you're going you're gonna to now have this great responsibility of being mother of Messiah? And in Luke chapter 138, then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let it be to me according to your word, like her son, not my will, but yours be done. You know what she was facing? She'd have to go and tell daddy, an orthodox Jewish man, daddy, I'm pregnant, but it's from God. It's the Holy Spirit. The father could have put her to death under the law. And then she had to go and tell mommy. How about mothers and daughters, right? You know the relation, ladies, you know, you know, I just watch it from afar with my, with my two daughters. I was watching it yesterday between Rachel and Sue. It's a beautiful, wonderful relationship, but there are dynamics, you know, with, with mothering and all, all the things. But she had to go and tell mommy and say, Mom, I'm pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And then she had to tell Joseph. And I think, I think that picture says it all. Look at Joseph's face. <laughs> I mean, Joseph's like, hey, Mary, Joseph, I'll tell you something important. What, you know, what is it? What is it? And listen, I'm, I'm pregnant by the Holy Spirit. It was like, what? I mean, just... And Joseph had the right to have Mary stoned. He was a righteous man, and he chose to put her away quietly. He would have given her a certificate of divorce. I want to just say, there was a, a period, a gap, between when Mary told Joseph that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit, and when he had the dream, when the angel came to him and said, this is true, Mary has the Messiah within her. And... Um, that gap of time that was, and, and a day, could you imagine what was going on? In, in, those, in those two young people's hearts, in a confusion, when they say PTSD occurs because something happens to someone, we always think of the military, and it, it happens to people who experience any kind of trauma. And PTSD is something, when it happens, we, we don't have the ability to be able to process it. So it causes this, this incredible stress upon the person, upon their, their, their brain, upon their emotional state. But could you imagine what, what those two were going through? Mary and Joseph and the confusion and the pain until the Lord revealed through the angel to Joseph that, hey, she is pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph again why did God choose this young couple? Why did God choose this man? He immediately just rose up and did what was right. And then there's Mary, pregnant, a young girl who hasn't, right, officially been married yet, in a town called Nazareth, this little small town. If anybody has ever lived in a small town, you know that everybody knows your business. I was watching a, a, a great documentary on, um, it was Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen. Michael Jordan, the greatest basketball player to ever play the game, one of the greatest athletes who have ever lived. Scottie Pippen, one of the, I mean, the greatest second man in the history, I think, of sports. 
And um, I'll just tell you this encouraging. Michael Jordan got cut in his sophomore year from his high school basketball team. How about that coach? You talk about, you talk about a blunder. And Scottie Pippen in college, freshman year, was the equipment manager. He was five foot ten, and he grew to be six seven in like the next year. He became the fifth draft, draft choice in the NBA. I'm gonna give you some, some sports trivia there, but Scotty grew up in a town of 3,500 people. And he was talking, he, some tragedy in his life. He had a stroke. And then his brother was injured in, uh, in athletic, athletics, and he ended up in the wheelchair. Two men in a wheelchair, and they had eight kids. And, and, but he was, talk, he was talking about the, kind of the good and the bad. There was a lot of good because this small town rallied around him, but there was bad because people could be cruel. But could you imagine Mary in Nazareth in this small town, you know, and just the gossips and the busybodies and the slander, uh, slanderers, and, you know, again, with what they would have been saying. And let me tell you something here. There were rumors that were being spread by the Jewish leaders. And when, when I was reading this, I, I have up in my, my library the first, like, 300 years of everything that was written about Christianity or by Christians. And um, it's, it's huge, it's 20 volumes. And I was working through and I was coming across the lies and the slander that was passed. The story that was being passed around was that Mary was impregnated by a Roman soldier. So I'm, I'm, I'm reading this, I'm gonna share my heart with you. And I'm becoming so angry, I love Mary. And I'm becoming so angry, and I'm thinking of this young girl and what she's going through. I want to take up a sword and cut off their heads. You know, just the, the, I'm telling you, the rage that was in me, wanting to just go to stand over her and protect her. I can imagine what the angels were like with this situation. When Mary met with Elizabeth, in Luke chapter 143, then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, blessed are you amongst women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how blessed she was. I wanna show you, I'm gonna show you two videos. And um, I always like to, to, you know, we don't know exactly what it was like, Mary raising Jesus. But they had to have this wonderful relationship. I believe Joseph died when um, Jesus was fairly young, he know Joseph was alive when he was 12, when he went up to the temple, but someone, he's not there at 30 when Jesus started his ministry, so Joseph died. Jesus, the oldest of the family, he had, there were other brothers that, you know, that, that Mary and Joseph had, and sisters, but Jesus would have become the leader of the home. He would have been the carpenter. He would have run the carpentry shop, and he would have become the primary you know, provider for the family. So there was this, this again, they had, they had to have this wonder. Ladies, imagine having a son like Jesus, right? He didn't answer you back. When you said clean your room, it was immaculate. Make your bed, it was immaculate. Jesus, take out the garbage cans, right there. So this, this is a, 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 a touching video from the Passion of the Christ of uh, Jesus, he's older now, and Mary. I've shown it to you before, I love it. Can we get the sound up?
Yeshua. Yeshua. Hi. The man, man. Many moments that they they had like that. So there were there was great joy in Mary. Raising Jesus, but that there was also sorrow. I want to show you. I want to show you another video. The prophet said when Jesus was dedicated in the temple that um, a sword would pierce your heart, and he was talking about what Mary would have to experience with Jesus on the cross, and she was there. I want to share one more, one more story with you. If you want, if you want to find a great movie, uh, if you've ever seen Jesus of Nazareth, go watch Jesus, uh, Jesus of Nazareth. Great, it's a great movie, great depiction of the life, death, resurrection of Jesus. Well, the sequel was called A.D., and A.D. picks up in the book of Acts, 
And they really did a great job understanding the, hist you know, the history around what was happening. And you can get it on YouTube for free. You can get part one, part two, part three, part four. And um, this, this, by the way, this picture here, I wanted to show you a video of them in the upper room. This is, this is actually another picture, but it was just, uh, they're in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. And the women are there, and the apostles are there, and, um, and Mary's there. And uh, Mary's talking about Jesus when he was a little boy. And so she tells this story. She says, one day he... he stuck his finger, on, got, got his finger pierced by a little nail and um, she said he was crying and she said I calmed him and then I made him a, a nice mutton stew, lamb stew and when he, was, when he was eating it, he got it all over his lips and she said he was, he was woofing he was woofing the bread you know, it's like an English word for, for stuffing, the, you know, like a kid does like we do, like men do, woofing it. And then um, the apostles all laughed and said, they said, woofing, and they all began to giggle. And then John says, just like a little boy. And Mary says, she goes, it's so, it, it was just so normal. All those years, raising up, Jesus. And then she says, you never know. And Peter says, you never know. You know what that was? You never know when God is going to break into your life. You never know when God is going to break into your life. I've had many of those moments, many times, where I wasn't expecting it, but God just breaks into your life. And then the rushing wind and the Holy Spirit came and fell on them. So I'm sitting yesterday with Julian and uh, we're sitting on the lake. We had a little time talking together for about a half hour. It's funny, I shared my heart more with Julian yesterday in a half hour, I think, than I have with anybody but my wife Sue. I think in 10 years. So he just... But he, he looked at me and he goes, do you ever cry? And I, I said, not, I don't cry a lot. I said, um, I grew up in a, in a family where, you know, men don't cry. I only saw my father cry once and that was when his brother died. And he went behind the garage to cry and I caught him crying. And I never saw my father cry. Uh, I, said, I said to him, you know, when my father had dementia, I cried. When I used to go pick him up, go up at night, pick him up and put him to bed. And my father, you know, he didn't know who I was. I said, I'd, I'd get home in the car and I'd, I'd have tears rolling down my cheeks. I said, when he died, I didn't cry. In fact, I, I, I was told at 10.05, between services, we had an early service at the time, that, um, that my father had died and I preached the next, I preached the service. And then I went, I took my mom and we made the arrangements, my sister and brother. But, um, I said to him, you know, I stopped and I said, I did cry yesterday when I was watching this scene and just hearing Mary talk about Jesus as a little boy and, and that, you know, the whole miracle of it. 
And I said, yeah, I was, I was watching it yesterday and I began, I began to cry. Just thinking about Jesus as this little boy with his mother. <laughs> crying because he stuck his finger and then her feeding him and Jesus woofing bread. <laughs> the Messiah. God. The creator. The sustainer. The Lord of all. A little child. A man who hung on the cross and died for us. Who was raised from the dead. And who we can have in our hearts if we'll open them to him. Amen. Beautiful stories of beautiful women. I pray that you take these great lessons into your heart. And again, thank you ladies. Thank you my sisters. Old and young, all faithful for your service that you've given to Jesus here. I thank you for him of what you've done here at Living Word Community Church. God bless you all. Um, Father, I pray, Lord God, that you would just impress the examples of these five godly women, Lord, these, these many godly women that we looked at today upon our hearts, men and women, that we can all learn from them. And that, Father God, we thank you for them. We thank you, Lord God, for our godly women around us today. And we thank you, Lord God, that you've given them to us as gifts. Bless them. And bless the men, Lord God, as they drive back, Lord God, from the shore, that you would bring them back safely, that you'd bless them, Lord God, and their families, with their wives and their children, and that you'd be with us all today in the name of Jesus, amen. And I'm going to have Kim, Kim is going to do communion with you today. Kim, let me just log out of here. stand together. We're going to partake in communion. We encourage you that if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ that you would partake with us as well as we have communion together. On that night, Jesus was with his disciples and he broke the bread. He gave it to them and he said, this is my body given to you. Eat this in remembrance of me. So this morning we partake, we eat the bread in remembrance of what Jesus did for us and his body broken on the cross. Let's partake. Then he took the cup and he said to his disciples, this is my covenant in my blood do this in remembrance of me so we remember him we drink his blood this morning in remembrance of his selfless act of his blood saving us and his salvation let's drink Amen. thank you lord Let's end with, with worship this morning.
Our hope is found only in you, Jesus.
till he, till he returns or calls me home here in the power of Christ I'll stand Amen Thank you Lord God for your word this morning thank you God for coming to save us we pray God that all our hope would be in you all our faith would be in you and all our strength would be found in you Lord Jesus be with us this week as we go use us God as a vessel to proclaim your holy word be a light in this world be a light in this life that you've given us and we pray God that you would continue Lord to seek us out and draw closer to us as we draw closer to you in Jesus name we pray amen